Welcome to Mind Crime Liberty Show with me, Stephen Dobson, and him, Tim Pan. Today we're joined by Rick Story to discuss, does sin or free will exist? Tim. We've done an episode with uh, Rick on does grammar exist, or whether Bill Clinton was right grammar, about, about, right about grammar, which is the alternate title. And today I'd like to do an episode on whether sin exists. Rick is a quite vociferous critic of what he calls individualism, and on his channel has released or another channel has released a number of videos criticizing it. Um, Swithin would make the criticism that what Rick calls individualism could easily just be stated or called as sin. So that's the, the question today is, does sin exist? And I also put, does free will exist? Because, if you know, where does sin come from? And one of the common defenses of the sin is, sin's existence is, well, it's the free will defense. You know, free, we're free creatures and we have to... T- be able to choose between two options, and you know one of those options must be evil, so God can't interfere. So there are two extreme theologians, both in this current century here. Well, both lived in this current century, born in the last century. Um, which is one of them, which is David Bentley Hart, and the other, which is R.C. Sproul. And I think they both actually, funnily enough, agree very much so, which is surprising considering Hart's a universalist and, and R.C. Sproul is something of a five if not a seven-point Calvinist. So, and David Bentley Hart takes what I would call a Socratic position, which is somewhat my position if someone strung me up against a wall. And this is best exemplified in the Nino Dialogue or opening chapters of uh, the Republic. And it basically states no one pursues, um, uh, no one chooses an inferior good over a superior good, knowingly knowing that the the knowing that the inferior good is actually inferior. So no one chooses misery. No one desires to be misery outright. Um, it, it's 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 done out of ignorance. It's done out of error. It's done about misplacing good as uh, it's do, you're pursuing evil, which you perceive to be good. Um, you're not pursuing evil in itself. So I want to read a quote here from R.C. Sproul. And I think this is an interesting quote from him in his book, Chosen by God. Without rebirth, we have no desire for Christ. Without a desire for Christ, we'll never choose Christ. Therefore, we conclude that before anyone will ever believe, before anyone ever can believe, God must first change the disposition of the heart. Of the heart. And here's, here's David Bentley Hart in his book, All Shall Should Be Saved. And this is very Socratic. If a rational creature, one whose mind is unimpaired and has the capacity to know truly the substance and consequences of the choice confronting them, is allowed, without coercion, to... F- uh, without coercion to his to his or her nature, to make a choice between a union with God and bliss that will utterly fulfill his or her nature's satisfaction, and a separation from God that will result in endless suffering and the total absence of satisfaction, only one true free choice is possible. And for Hart, that's obviously you know the the, the bliss of eternal uh, unification with God. So under this scenario, even if man's free will is even if man has a free will, it's why does they choose sin? You know, why is it corrupted? Now, of course, the Calvinists would say, well, we're all corrupted. No one deserves anything, and uh, everyone deserves death or something like that. These are these are statements that modern-day ones will make here. And I would say that's like the ultimate one Oreo versus two Oreo time preference problem. You know, if, if you really think about it, choosing any sin, you're just, you're just misstating, you know, you're just not thinking of the consequences sufficiently. If one Oreo now or infinite negative Oreos in the future here. Um, now, there is, you can make the distinction between utter depravity and total depravity, and I think this is one of these distinctions that some some people make without a difference. You could always just imagine things being worse. And this is also where the Panglossians, who don't really exist, but they're sort of an intellectual framework to think about. They think it's the best of all possible worlds, so we have the minimum necessary amount of sin that God has to do to allow free creatures or something like that. But you always imagine something worse. So what brought this up is Rick sent me and us an email, not well, a message about, so he thought this was ridiculous, that a woman was getting divorced, um, um, and then 10 years later she thought, well, well, she thought getting divorced was a mistake here. Now, at the time, my, my thought is she was not pursuing the divorce because um, this is sort of like a mild, quote-unquote, evil. I'm not talking about sort of like war crime or anything, we're just talking about divorce. Um, at the time, she probably wasn't doing it to be miserable in the future. She was doing it because she thought she'd be happier in the future if she got divorced. So that's a sort of a simple choice here. But at the time, first point point of view, you know, she's just doing what 
she pursues as her own good. Now, maybe she's ignorant, or maybe she doesn't, you know, fully understand the consequences of her actions or something like that. And I also, we also did an episode with Rick on does um, mental health exist. So I will refuse to secede all negative human actions um, to mental illness. You know, there might be a healthy leg in Aristotelian fashion, but I don't think, what exactly is a healthy mind? I mean, I don't think Ted Kaczynski or, or you know, Hamas or the Taliban or Stalin are mentally ill. I, I refuse to say that these people are mentally ill in any, you know, if you watch the Netflix series, Ted Kaczynski throughout his attorney because um, they wanted to use the mental insanity defense. And he was like, no, I, I, I'm perfectly sober here. So sin, what is a sin? Is sin merely mental illness? Is sin just, you know, the rational consequence of God allowing free will? You know, which is why I had two questions here. Rick, thanks for being on. You know, you're always interesting to talk to you on this, thi this thing. Um, we've done a few episodes like this. What would you say on the question? Does sin exist? Does free will exist? And thanks again for being on. Well, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure, Tim. Well, I mean, first of all, I like the fact that those two questions are together because, uh, I mean, certainly in my research, I think that the topic of free will just necessarily runs into uh, theology. Now, I, I know there'll be a lot of philosophers who want to contend that, you know, because they are, you know, probably atheists, you know, but certainly they are materialists. Uh, and they really do want to try and avoid that altogether. I, I happen to think that it is unavoidable. And I really do, it, you know, like, for instance, just then, you're talking about free will. And, you know, naturally, it then occurs to you to start bringing up figures like John Calvin, um, who, uh, you know, many will know this, many will not. Um, you know, his his idea was that, you know, as you've already mentioned, we are... Uh, totally depraved and so our our will is so bound by sin um that we, we cannot just of our own free will of our own volition um just choose to you know believe in jesus and to become a, a true christian you know something something spiritual um has to fundamentally change about us um you know so that we will begin to love uh, the things of God. We will stop loving our sin and we'll start to, to change. We'll be born again. Uh, we'll become a new creature and we'll have new desires, a new heart in us is the imagery that's used in prophecy. And, um, you, you know, then we will be able to uh, change our ways, you know, really repent. Um, so we can't do that uh, without divine intervention, without God's grace. Um you know, and I think that's so fundamentally important because I think um, in discussions about free will, it's very important to think about the the individual, but within a context. They're in a context, and 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 the interventions and all of the influences that are acting upon them. Um, and I mean, you know, let, let's just launch into uh, you know academic discussion about what free will is and, and this will start to become a lot clearer um you know so what, what does it really mean to have a free will um you know so immediately when we ask that question other questions start to to, to crop up you know we say well am i really free to do whatever i want uh, well no uh, you know i'm obviously limited by my circumstances around me so for instance i, I can't just go to the moon uh, right now, for example, um, uh, I don't even think Elon Musk could, like, right now, just go to the moon. He's limited by circumstances, uh, and of course, you know, we're also limited by our biology. Um, you know, if you are as tall as uh, Rishi Sunak, the British Prime Minister at the moment, you, you know, you're, you're probably not going to be. Um, a top basketball player, um, you know, I, I can't naturally fly by flapping my arms, you know, and fly among the birds. Um, and, you know, of course, we're, we're limited also uh, internally, you know, in our minds, we're also limited. We don't like to think uh, that way. We, you know, we, we like to think that we are very free in terms of what we're able to think, uh, and it gets a little bit uncomfortable to think that we're we're not, 
Um, so just for example, you know, if I were to say to Swiven right now, Swiven, I want you to just imagine right now in this moment, the schematics for a perpetual motion machine, you know, or something like that, which would solve all of mankind's energy needs forever. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, I mean, uh, you know, Swiven is able to do that. I would have hoped that he would have told me, you know, being my friend, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that Swiven isn't just able to do that with his mind. And, you know, the reason is because we can't just imagine something totally new at will. You know, we, we need a framework of language and, you know, other mental building blocks to develop new thoughts, you know, learning something new can be very hard, you know, and we need mentors and teachers to scaffold uh, the, the the building of that new knowledge in our minds. Um, okay, so, you know, after thinking all of that, you know, well, how exactly are we free, you know, in, in terms of our will? Um, and so, you know, I think the crux of the free will debate boils down to how we're actually going to define uh, freedom, freedom of the will. Uh, now, you know, as people who will have heard me on your show before will know, I'm a Catholic. And so, um, you know, I fundamentally believe that man does have a free will. But, you know, the way that that's defined is in a much more, well, an ancient and uh, classical understanding of that. Um, so, you know, I, I can definitely... You know, sure, everyone, you know, I, I am, you know, going to defend uh, some kind of free will theory. Um, but, you know, I'm also not going to just be defining it away, you know, just reducing the meaning of it just to try and fit it into a modern view, um, just to make, you know, materialists comfortable. Um, so, okay, what, what, what are the you know, main academic views of, of free will then, if you're happy for me to go on, that is. Um, are you happy for me to go on and define that? Or do you want to jump in with some questions or? Yeah, go again. Yeah, okay. Define, define the positions. Okay. So there's the libertarian free will theory. And and so, you know, immediately we've got to distinguish libertarian from, um, you know, maybe some political connotations there. Although, you know, I think there's a, you know, there tends to be a connection between those two groups. Um, so the libertarian free will theory, um, you know, which is, uh, I think, best defended by people like Thomas Pink, uh, who is, you know, also a, a Catholic. He's, you know, um, written on many different subjects, not just this. I mean, there's guys like um, like Robert Kane, and they come at this from from two different angles. You know, Thomas Pink would say something more like, um, you, you know, as agents. Uh, we just possess this power to initiate an action. You know, if if in my mind I just sort of think, okay, I'm I'm going to go outside. I can initiate my standing up and walking to the door, opening the door, uh, and walking out. Um, and and you know, he says, and that's just very intuitive, and that's basically just what we mean by free will. And so everybody just uh, has this understanding that they have a free will. As a result of that, um, and so people in that camp would define free will as, um, you know, an individual's ability uh, to make choices. Um, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. It tends to be so they want to say that it's not being causally determined by uh, factors that have come before it, such as our genetics, you know, our biology or environment, or, uh, you know, outside forces, basically, acting upon us. Um, and, uh, you know, then you've got other people like Robert Kane, and he, he would say, um, a little bit complicated, but he, he basically says, you know, if you get down to the quantum level of how our brains work, um, you know, the firing of neurons and stuff, um, you know, when you get down to that level, um, there's this complete indeterminacy. You know, you don't know where the particles are going to start appearing. And so, um, you know, there is some kind of unpredictability about the way the brain works. Um, you know, that's quite, that's, uh, to my mind, that sort of escapes our normal everyday 
uh, understanding of free will a little bit and it's kind of stretching it a bit. Um, you know, I think most people would be much more comfortable with Thomas Pink's argument of just like, I seem to have this power to just stand up, you know, uh, so long as my body allows. Um, now, I mean, to me, that all sounds fine. Um, you know, you could go on, you could say there are people like Jean-Paul Sartre, who, um, you know, have like a really, really strong view of this. Uh, they've got this kind of existentialist view of free will and they, they so um, empower this this uh, sense of free will that we have that they think that we we totally define our own purpose and essence and, and all this stuff again I think that's going a bit too far really um, and so with determinism uh, you have figures like uh, Derek Periboom and so that they would say that free will is actually just an illusion all of our actions and choices are fully determined by some prior causes or conditions. And uh, so this makes any sense that we have a choice in things uh, false, actually. And some of them would go so far as to say that, in fact, any responsibility we have for our actions is indeed impossible. And so they would point to uh, these magician sort of showman type uh, figures who were able to you know, get get all of an audience uh, thinking of exactly the same celebrity because they've programmed them with certain cues and images and that sort of thing. And so they have them all thinking of, you know, Elvis or something like that uh, by the end of the show. And so, you know, they say, well, look, you know, were these people really free uh, to choose to think about Elvis? Um or, you know, were they programmed? And, and so then they would say, well, you know, do any of us really have a a freedom then to to choose our, our thoughts and plan our actions and that sort of thing? So, Rick, um, I think there's a distinction that's made between the Elvis example of the magician and more important um, decisions here. So if you think about, like, whether or not you're going to choose to join a war, for example, or whether or not you're going to choose to take a job, this is a type of decision that someone like Swinburne would say is understudied. So it could be that we are mechanically inclined. This is my own view um, to some extent here. Although the 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 critics of the determinist will just say, well, you don't understand this. We don't have a big enough computer to calculate, to model this. So it could be that, like, you know, if, I, if, if a mosquito lands on my leg, I'm just going to smack it. Or if, uh, you know, if a... If you're driving on, if you're driving or walking, and and a, a, a sort of mechanically determined bear or something steps out, or something steps out in front of you, you're gonna swerve. Um, that you can, might be able to say we're more autom automatons in sense. Some sense our actions are automaton like. But if you want to zero down to like key decisions in your life, and and you know this is where I think sin comes back in because like you could say, well, sin is just a kind of habit of constantly choosing lesser than good or choosing to avoid things. This, this is where habits come in here. So, like, if you eat, if you eat breakfast every morning at 7 a.m., you can say, well, are you determined to eat breakfast there? You know, like, my, myself, like, like, thinking about my own self, like, brushing my teeth, I think I choose to brush my teeth every time. I don't do it out of habit. And that, that might put me on the autistic spectrum, that comment there. Probably does. But in that sense, I don't have, per se, those type of habits here. Uh, I, the only habits I have are habits I don't know I have. Um, so, so in terms of, like, key decisions here, how would you juxtapose your, how would you think about your, 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 your thinking here? Because, you know, or do you think the magician example is just indicative of everything? We just, we just don't know what's causing our actions here. And then again, how does how does God in your in your worldview relate back into this, um, in, into this, Rick? Yeah, and I think that's a really really key uh, matter that you've brought up there, Tim. Is habits the formation of habits? You see, in neuroscience, uh, there's this. You know, this is very very well established. This is not fringe at all. Uh, this is very central uh, to understanding neuroscience. Uh, there's something called executive control. That's what they call it. Uh, now, I happen to think that that is very much akin 
to the, the, the classical understanding of what free will is. So you see, with executive control, um, you know, let me see if I can bring up a, a, a fancy definition of it here. Um, so this is the set of cognitive processes that manage and regulate various cognitive functions, allowing an individual to plan, organize, initiate and control goal-directed behaviors. So really what this is talking about is the breaking of bad habits, one would hope, and the making of new habits, hopefully good habits. Um, And so in that sense, we're able to kind of take control of, of ourselves. You know, yes, okay, we have a biology. We have habits. We have um, appetites, you know, and, and emotions and, and desires. We kind of need all of those things to kind of, you know, give us goals. Uh, you know, as the example, I forget the name of the man now, uh, but he was a high-flying lawyer, well-liked, and he had some damage to the front of his brain. So he was unable to feel anything. He had no emotions. And so he, he became a completely hopeless case, you know, worse than Mr. Bean. You know, he'd walk into a room and he'd have no idea what to do. He couldn't plan. He couldn't decide anything. So, you know, our emotions and our appetites, you know, they're there for a very good reason. But, you know, in the classical understanding, um, you know, consider Plato, for instance. Uh, Plato uh, d- depicted our uh, our reason, our sense of reason, uh, which I think he w- you know, he was talking about executive control there, um, and he saw this as being like a charioteer, and there are these two horses. Uh, one is the the spirit, uh, you know, which we would call emotions and desires, and the other one is the the appetites. You know, so our our biological appetites um and this charioteer is you know trying to take control of these two and plato said you know your reason your executive control it needs to get a grip on these two things otherwise they will end up controlling you and so um and you know this is the the christian concept that's taken up by saint augustine uh in terms of us talking about free will um, you know, in terms of having a free will, it's it's not that we're then completely unbound by any outside influences upon us. Um, far from it. You know, we're encouraged to be, you know, a good influence towards each other um, and, you know, to avoid bad influences on our soul. Um, and, and, we're, and we're encouraged to, you know, to exercise some self-mastery. Uh, sophrosyne, as the ancient Greeks called it, uh, which is to control those two horses, you know, of our emotions and our appetites, uh, lest they control us. And so really, when it's talking about freedom, it's that, you know, the charioteer has a really good grasp of those two. uh, Because, uh, you know, you have broken bad habits, and you have you know, got a really good grasp, maybe not a perfect grasp, but, you you know, you've pretty much got those horses under control and then you can steer where you're going much better. Then you have some freedom. So in the Christian... Sorry, go on, Tim. Do you think... uh, Would you say free will is integral to your view of, of the Christian life and God? Like, would it be... Would it be? We had a recording error, and I think when in your recording error you said that Islam and certain forms of Islam, as well as Calvinists, have a kind of theological determinist. Um, Do you think free will is relevant for your understanding of Christianity? Like, without it, would it would it not make sense, or would it be in some ways um, weak, weaker, or in some ways, if not like uh, evil? Like if free will didn't exist in in your in your in your view as you defined it, of course. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. So one of the groups of those hard determinists who deny free will would be theological determinists, so such as uh, Calvinists, um, which is a very broad group. You know, there are many Protestants who are Calvinists and who deny uh, free will um, in the sense that you can choose to love God and the things of God. Uh, you know, we're considered to be, you know, bound in, in sin. Um, 
you know, so naturally speaking, the Calvinists would understand that the charioteer in Plato's imagery um, is kind of bound hand and foot, um, and, you know, maybe blinded. Um, and so, you know, he, he can't really get a grip on those horses at all. They are leading him. And so some divine grace, some divine intervention is required then uh, in order to, um, you know, give us sight or, you know, at the very least to kind of give us some direction as to, you know, where these horses are going, perhaps. Um, and and in Islam, it's a similar situation. They're, they're also very deterministic. God is the one who has free will and intervenes to direct our path uh, wherever he, he, he wishes. Um, so, yes, I mean, for me as a Catholic, I would say that this conception of uh, free will, this classical understanding of free will um, as being, you know, we have a, an executive control and this gives us the ability then to start to break uh, uh, our bad habits, you know, so to start to, to create new desires in us and to come closer to God. Um, nevertheless, I'd say where I think the Calvinists are um, confused in a certain sense is that uh, is is to deny that version of of free will because Calvinists don't actually believe that we are just robots and that um, you know God is just making us do X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, if if you look more closely at what they're saying. It's just that um, we, we, in our natural state and without a knowledge of God and a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the salvation that we have offered to us there, you know, we, we're not able to, to do, um, we're not able to conform our will to God's will naturally by ourselves because we're so constrained by our love of, you know, by our appetites and and uh you know our our inordinate emotions um and so i i don't actually i think if there were more dialogue and more of an understanding of what we actually mean by these things i i think there would probably be a much better understanding but i think uh what would have to be acknowledged is that when we're talking about free will and we mean this more classical platonist understanding of free will but that is a thing that is a thing. Okay, yes, yes to, you know, if we're lost in our sin, and we all are, um, you know, taking steps towards the light and towards the truth and towards God and conforming our will to God's will, as it were, um, you know, that's that's a... Well, for a start, that's a scary thing because we 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 love the certainty and the familiarity of our sin, um, you know, hiding in the shadows. Uh, you know, it's a you know much safer place to to be. It feels, it seems, um, and also you know we we need some incentive, we need some motivation then to to move us towards God. And, and so in the Catholic understanding, we'd say, well, that was the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he is God's son sent into the world um, as a sacrifice for us. And, you know, that act of love, you know, when we didn't love God, but that first act of love towards us, that then plants the seed there of, of, of love and of guilt. And so then, we, you know, we start to then begin to want to take those steps and to love the things of God and to approach God. Well, I guess the, I guess the next question here is why you mentioned grace and see, this is where I think, you know, one of the reasons why the, the, there was a reformed reformation to begin with. I think one of the key reasons was grace. You know, why doesn't everyone have that ability or why doesn't everyone get that ability? Um, so is, I would say Hart is a is a reactionary to the reform movement. That's how I've come to think of Hart, David, the universalist position. Um, do you like why why indeed don't we all have that ability to to become better? Isn't that you say they're not entirely they don't entirely um, they, there's a sort of performative contradiction. They they somewhat act like they have free will in a sense, but why isn't grace more extended? 
than it otherwise will, than it otherwise is. Now you could say, well, who am I to judge the ways of the mighty? And he's like, okay, yeah, that's sure. But there seems to be a plausible case there could be more, I think, prevenient grace or something like that. But it seems like grace, there seems to be a lack thereof grace, or maybe there isn't. Or maybe indeed everyone will be. What do you make on that that line of thinking, Rick, here? Because that seems to be one of the key things of why the classical understanding went away, so to speak. I mean, that was one of Luther's key ideas, too. Us. Well, I think, um, you know, I mean, the, the classical understanding, the things I'm talking about of, you know, taking control of your, you know, your bodily appetites and, you know, being in control of your emotions and stuff like that, um, you know, th- that understanding, you know, is necessary to do that, to have some self-control. I mean, that's, if not universal, I mean, certainly, but that's something that's been explored um, in Asian civilizations, uh, you know, pre-Christian civilizations, you know, afterwards, you know, post-Christianity, uh, philosophers have explored these ideas. So, you know, naturally, we do understand these things. And so I think, you know, something that the the, the Catholic view of this w- would emphasize is that, you know, we have a conscience. You know, we do still have natural abilities to perceive these things, and we can philosophize about them. Um, and you're know, like the Stoics, you know, the Stoics believed and practiced a lot of this stuff. But the problem is, you know, was it really done from the heart? What was it? Was it something that was so um, sincere that you genuinely feel something about these things? You genuinely want it. Like you, you genuinely love God, you love Jesus for what He did for you, um, you know, to and and to to make this way open so that you're you can grow closer to God in the sense that your will can become more and more and more conformed to God's will, and so your your will is always becoming freer. You're being freed from sin in the sense that you you stop loving it those habits are getting broken, but also you're actually genuinely starting to love the things of God. So you're increasingly hating the thing that you loved before, your sin, and you're you're increasingly growing in a love of good things. Um, now, you know, our conscience might tell us uh, that something's right, Um you know, and obviously, you know, uh, with our ph- philosophical mind, you know, won't be able to say, um, uh, oh, okay, yes, uh, you know, I understand that I need to take control of my body and my emotions, but, um, you know, do you do you want it? Do you love it? Do you have some feelings about it? Um, you know, I, I think that um, that's where God's grace comes in. We're given a new heart. Not a new mind per se. Uh, we, we, we're given new feelings about this, and so we we have a genuine change of mind, um, which encompasses all of us. You know, it's 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 really a personal thing. We end up with a personal relationship with God through you know through Jesus. You know, as a as a man, um, and so it's a much more human emotional matter rather than a purely intellectual exercise, as, say, something like Stoicism would be. And to get those emotions going, well, you know, and that motivation that comes with it, um, for us, for us humans, who naturally are not in love with with God, uh, you know, we, we need some outside intervention first. And that's just fine. We're influenced... Uh, by outside uh, forces and outside influences and cues and ideas and all sorts of things all the time, all the time. Our brains are not isolated from the outside world at all, far from it. It would seem to me um, that the change in the understanding of free will and related things with um, Calvinism uh, comes from the the death of classical, uh, something like classical theism, uh, in the West, because God's choice then becomes competitive with humans' choice. Uh, 
and therefore if God determines it, then well, that means humans don't have anything to do with it, and that tends towards uh, more theological determinism. Uh, also, as well, more of a voluntaristic account of God as well. That and that's what the Isla- uh, some of the Islamic scholars have that God is just pure will. And whatever he wills happens, there's no sort of substance and nothing else does anything really. Nothing has any causalities. Secondary causes don't have any real genuine existence. Uh, Now, you could always argue whether they did to begin with anyway. Um, So a secondary cause, a classic uh, one for here would be like the pen. Uh, The primary cause of writing on the paper is the hand moving and then the pen puts something on the paper. Uh, it's not the primary cause, secondary cause, but it does impart causality because without the pen, there wouldn't be any writing on that. So that's a classic sort of very basic defense of uh, secondary causation. Uh, secondary causes, sorry. Um, and it seems to me that the, the when you get the idea of, I mean, so a good example of this would be like the God of William Paley. Uh, God is just the designer. He's, he's just like the superhuman who designs the world. Um rather than being the sort of uh, immutable, simple uh, God who's sort of action in the world, um, you know, what is what does it mean that God brings about the universe? It's just that the universe exists. Uh, it is it, it, sort of radically sort of over and above level of causation, which is cons- consistent with and not competitive with sort of human decision-making, I think makes a, uh, a big uh, change uh, to how people view things, and so whereas, and um, because when it comes to say, predestination, Aquinas has a somewhat similar view to um, Calvin. Uh, it's just that uh, Aquinas holds a more robust view of the will than Aquinas does, and I think that's probably due to his metaphysical commitments uh, rather than um, Calvin. Although I'm not exactly sure on Calvin's theology of God proper. So I, I, that could be wrong, but it's certainly true of some Calvinists coming after uh, Calvin. Um, so I, I think that's a change. That's the motivation for the Calvinists uh, with pre- God's predestination and human choice. And it means somewhat, well, if God chooses, then you can't. Um, I think Tim's question, though, with respect to uh, Christianity is, well, why not? Why, I, I'm guessing, Tim, effectively, why not universalism? Correct. Why, why is heart wrong? Why not give? Why doesn't God give everyone the grace to uh, respond to Him uh, in such a way that they are saved, and therefore you get ultimately some form of universalism? If that, so if if that is something that's within, it, so taking the position that I just outlined uh, of you know the non-competitive um view of god's cause causation and human causation or god's choice and human's choice why is it not the case then that god chooses to save everybody in that sense given the fact that what well, assuming that it is the case that human freedom in the strong sense if you described it is consistent with god's choice i i think that's as tim has agreed that that's his primary uh choice uh question tim how would you sorry rick how would you respond to that well, I think, um, you know, the verse from Scripture where we're told that God gives grace to the humble uh, is important. And, you know, it's not a platitude. I think there's a lot there. I, I think that um, it, this kind of circles back around to uh, where we started, where, you know, Tim mentioned that we'd had a talk previously um, about... Um, the the topic of whether um, you know because we have uh, free will, um, so uh, you know Tim had brought up a conversation that we'd had uh, in a, a previous episode, um, and, and messages that we've had before this show where we were talking about um, you know what, what is individualism, and you're saying well. You know, Swithin, you'd said, well, are you really just talking about sin then? And the reason you'd said that is because I was defining individualism as this this prideful, um, Luciferian, you know, the, the satanic attitude of, no, I'm going to separate myself from 
the other, you know, from the group, from God. I'm going to separate myself from the and and I'm going to be um, totally self-sufficient um, to the to the extent that I'm going to do things to satisfy myself, regardless of the impact it will have on the other. And so immediately there, there's this this complete death of any love you know what the christian definition of love where it's about sacrifice um you know that's what charity is right it's it's an unconditional love you know sort of giving not ex- not counting the cost not expecting anything in return so it's a sacrifice in the christian conception you know love is sacrifice and, and so you know it's this kind of anti sacrifice attitude is it's a truly um selfish attitude and and you know swiven we were talking before about um you know is there such a thing as a selfless act you know because there will be some good return in in some fashion um and, and so you know we were defining you know this kind of sin you know what i was tending to call individualism as being this well as, as a, pr- a pride basically uh, a selfish pride to the detriment of the group or the other, um, flying in the face of God's will, and um, just being totally self-serving. There's a sort of a, like a, a bad form of selfishness, and so you know this is why you know Satan is you know the father of pride. You know he's he the original sinner. And his sin was pride. Uh, so this is why, you know, we're told God gives grace to the humble. So I think where there's the, what can I say, you know, the executive control in one, uh, and one is um, responding positively to the things of God, and then, and you know, correcting oneself, correcting one's habits, and fighting more and more against sin and and it's a difficult task you know our lord said you know if if your right hand causes you to sin then cut it off um now you know lots of interpretations they will say well that's talking in a more corporate sense it's it's sort of get rid of that person from the church you know excommunicate that person who's you know a detriment to to the church um you know, I think there is a personal aspect to it as well. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, our Lord is saying, you know, if something is causing you to sin, as difficult as it might be, you've got to, you've got to stop that, literally cut off your hand, you know. Well, not literally, uh, most certainly figuratively, but uh, but if it, it, it really feels that way sometimes, you know, to, 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 to break a bad habit can cost you um and and it can be so exceptionally hard that it is as difficult as as cutting off your hand um so i i think when it says you know god gives grace to the humble uh i do think that there is an element there of in you know as you're responding to god's grace and this this goes for you know people who are Christians as well, people who have been Christians for a long time. You know, I count myself in this as well. You know, there's a constant battle to be fighting off. You know, the the will of the flesh. You know, the 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 pride of life. You know, the lusts of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh. These things. You're constantly grappling with those two horses of Plato's image. Um, and and you know that doesn't stop. That doesn't stop. Uh, the, the motivation for that comes with God's grace. We 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 we're, we're shown God's love, and we we respond with love in turn. And that requires humility, a death to oneself, the ultimate sacrifice, a constant sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing um and oh, well, it, i mean that makes sense but then i, I yeah. suspect, suspect the, the response to that would be well why doesn't god make more people humble so they can respond to his grace well in that sense i think well there we have it there we have uh the the, the free will there we have um the fact that we are not just robots yes we're constantly being 
like programmed to a large extent uh, by our outside circumstances. Um, you know, the list is almost endless there. Um, and so, you know, where one of those influences, you know, the influence of God, and there's that grace, and there's that love. Um, you know, uh, we, we we have a responsibility to tend to that, to do something with that. Um, you know, like in the, the parable of the talents, um, which is a, a sum of money, um, you know, these different individuals are given different quantities, you know, and there's the man who's given very little, um, but he doesn't do anything with it. He doesn't tend to it. Um, you know, there are other other parables where it's about um, uh, tending to something, uh, acting, you know, um, looking after what the, uh, the master who has left the vineyard or whatever, uh, you know, doing the job that's been given you, uh, doing nothing, being inactive. Well, what do you think is going to happen? You know, you're the charioteer. You've got those two horses there. If you are inactive and inattentive, well, you know, guess what? The horses are not going to be inattentive. The devil is not going to be inattentive. The devil is going around as a roaring lion. You know, Peter says, I'd have you, you know, be wary of, you know, be aware of this one thing. Bear it in mind is that the devil is going around as a roaring lion, you know, trying to consume the weak and you know the elderly as they fall off from the pack um you know you have to be sharp you've got to be circumspect uh you have to be yes as harmless as doves but you also have to be as uh, you know as sharp as as a serpent you know you've got to be um you know aware uh, but there's a spiritual evil at play uh, and you know to be to be idle um, means that you know you're going you're you're going to fall away. You are going to slip back into old habits. Let's say you're into you know um, what's it called sliding back. You will slide back uh, into your old ways, your old nature. Um, and so you know this is why the Christian walk is described as like a race, uh, like a boxing match. Uh, by Saint Paul, because there is that there is that constant struggle. Now, Calvinists might say, "Well, uh, you know, God puts it in us to will and to do of His good pleasure." Uh, the Catholic response to that would be, uh, "Yes, but you know, in, in what way is He doing that? He's, he's giving His grace, and, and what is that? That is His influence, His love that is shown to us, His you know the the, the things that cross our path, and also uh, the the teachings from the Bible, and also our communion with uh, others at church. That's why it's so important for us to go to church, uh, and and all of this thing. Uh, you know, it, it's it's important for us to cultivate those good habits and those good influences. But also we have to be breaking the bad habits and cutting out those, what do you want to say, toxic influences uh, from our life as well. And we have to be active about that. Well, thanks for the discussion here. I will say that I do think that free will is integral to the common cla or classical as Rick describes it. Um, just, I mean, uh, understanding of Christianity. Other, otherwise, God looks like a monster. Um, you know, you have to sort of zero in on free will. Like, like you have to view this as a virtue of not having automatons. Um, if you don't view that way, like, then, then the question, which Schwitten rephrased very well, to me is, is like, why doesn't he just give this this grace to everyone? Why doesn't he make everyone humble enough to hear him? And then it's like, well, that's a good question. Maybe it's just some sort of divine hiddenness or something along those lines. But I think you do have to zero in on that question if you can't. And, um, I mean, that's, I think, one of the reasons why not to be a cultural prognostic or prognosticator, but I do think that's one of the reasons why religion potentially declined here, because you take the classical understanding of God as omniscient. This seems to pose a problem. Free will, having free creatures that are totally somewhat independent, does seem to pose a problem to that understanding. So I do think that the tension 
that doesn't get fully resolved. And I think that's, to some extent, explains our cultural situation today uh, on theism. Because many people view God, like someone like Alex O'Connor, as if he does exist, he's a monster. Um, and, well, you have to sort of go back to the question of freedom here. Um, you know, is freedom a good thing? Someone like Richard Schumberg would say yes. So, you know, we just have to have the freedom to make, choose sin. But then someone like Hart would say, well, why would anyone choose that? It just seems like no one needs to, most people don't need to be reminded to choose poison unless they're committing suicide, which we've done an episode on that. Um, but on these other things, you know, it's, 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 it, you have to, it begs a question of why are such and such people, why can only some people hear it seemingly? Maybe everyone does hear it. Rick, uh, uh, Swithin, well, I guess we'll just wrap it up here. We've been going for about an hour here. Swithin, do you have any final comments? And then thanks again for both of you for doing this episode. Um, not really. I mean, that th- I think that's 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 the next question, which is big sort of theodicy, is you know why does the fall take place? Why does why does God allow Satan to do as he does, uh, etc. I mean, that's really the, you. That's where you're really pushing the question back, and I think ultimately any answer is going to have something like divine hiddenness of some description. Uh, although I would, would carry it at this point, uh, we, you can't push the evil thing too far because if you if you may take the view that anything is bad insofar as it, is, it, it um, has a form of privation, then you'd make the case that God can create anything because he can create himself because um, anything other than himself would have some lack and therefore some sort of evil of some respect uh there so um you end you're going to end up with a position where you, you have to you have to take if god creates what is what seems to be a contingent reality there's going to have to be something that he creates isn't perfect but the question is in what sense um so i think this is where we'd have to go uh now i'd just like to thank uh everyone for listening and for rick for joining us again and if uh anyone would like to contact the show for any reason at all please contact us at mindcryingthebishow at gmail.com at show at gmail.com and subscribe to some popular on YouTube. I got in the wrong order, but never mind.